you've been doing. Uh, I know you'll, you're a design consultant in California and you're also a professor. And I've been following some of the some of the things that you've been posting on YouTube. And it's really um, it's really quite refreshing and exciting. Uh, it, the things that you're doing, um, as I was saying earlier, I was watching one of your portfolios, portfolio reviews and I just think that the way you approach the, the the students and the younger designers, I think you know what you're doing is even helpful for people like me. It, 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 there's there's a lot of good tidbits. Um, there's there's a good philosophy and a process that you're kind of applying, and I think you really clearly articulate to the the viewers exactly what you're trying to get across. I think that that uh, you know your sort of design theory, the, these these videos that you've been putting out, I, I really do like them a lot. And, and I wish that, um, you know, I'm glad we're in this time that we have in 2021, but man, in 1995, when I was finishing up graduate school, I sure wish that there was somebody doing what you were doing that could give me some insights because, I mean, we were just shooting blind back then and, and really the information that some folks are putting out right now are, it's really invaluable, I think, to any designer that's that's just wanting to get better and get some insights into what other people are thinking and how people approach uh, thinking about design and how they approach uh, doing their portfolios. Well, thank you for that, Tony. I really appreciate you saying that. So that's pretty much why I started the channel. When I was starting out in school, um, it was, let's see, I started school in 2007. I graduated in 2011 and I really just did not have a clue. And, uh, you know, you'd hear things like, oh, tell a story. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to my professor, like, dude, it's a freaking vacuum cleaner. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, so a lot of this stuff just wasn't really articulated to me. And I think it's because designers are very, very intuitive people, Right. Like there's a lot of sort of gut feelings that happen in product development and then you sort of rationalize it later. And and honestly, like a, a lot of designers don't even do a good job of that. And I'm not knocking any of these designers. I'm not expecting them to be like expert linguists or anything or, you know, be really good at, um, you know, giving uh, like dissertations on their designs. I, I would never expect that. So I'm not knocking them. But there's a big disconnect between uh, expressing and articulating these things, like you said, and uh, like just sort of filling in that gap uh, was a big opportunity in my mind, because for whatever reason, um, I tend to be pretty good at uh, figuring out what is the sort of crux of this, like what is the heart of this particular matter. And it's not that's not just in design, that's just in general, Uh, I tend to just blurt out what everybody is thinking. So uh, that has translated well to design and it's allowed me to communicate very effectively with clients because, you know, clients aren't designers and you need to be able to defend your decisions, right? That's probably the most important thing. How do you articulate the value of design when so little of it can be measured? And especially in a corporate setting, being able to measure things is very, very valuable to them, very, very important to them. So that was basically, uh, that's basically how it all started. I just wanted to uh, articulate a lot of the things that I was seeing. And um, I think it's, I think it's worked reasonably well. Yeah, I think so. Uh, You know, like I said, you know, looking at your videos and just kind of listening, it, it, everything is very clear. And I, I I think, um, you know, that's a skill that's really hard to do. And I think it's a skill that, that, 
you know, even with my experience, I have to, I have to work on it. And, and, and you're right. Some, for some folks, it comes a little bit easier than others. I think I might be the one where it doesn't quite come as easy to, but it's, it's still, um, you know, I, I recall years ago when, you know, one of our executives was just saying what you just said is, Hey, we need to tell a story. And, and, and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you guys just wanted me to design this thing and you, you know, I have the features, I know the dimensions and how much it weighs. Like here it is. What, what kind of a story do you want? Like we can make it, it's in budget, like, you know, all this or sort of the, the sort of nuts and bolts, but they wanted more. And so, um, really having to focus on that storytelling ability, I think is, um, really critical, uh, and key, especially for new designers, as you start coming out, you know, you really need to your point, you know, you gotta be able to defend the design or at least give some reasons on why, why you're doing what you're doing so that it just doesn't sound like you, um, you know, just sort of pull it out of thin air for, for no good reason. It looks cool. That's the story. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> That's pretty much what I said when I was a student. They'd be like, what's the story with this vacuum cleaner? And I'd be like, it sucks up dirt. I, I was not a very, uh, I, I was, I got good grades in school, but uh, not all my teachers liked me very much. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of them uh, did, that's but, okay. you know, it, I, uh, I was uh, in college much less so. Uh, I got along a lot better, but you know, in high school, uh, middle school, elementary school, I really struggled because it was like a square peg in a round hole. I really did not fit in with that sort of structured environment at all. And yeah. I was very, very lucky to have found design because it's one of the very few disciplines where divergent thinking is valued. Um, so I was very, very fortunate to find it early on. My brother actually started out as an industrial designer at RISD, and then he later went into game design. So that was a big, oh, cool. big source of inspiration. He's about eight years older than I am. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so is that, that's how you got into design was, was with a older sibling. Well, it was even way before that because, you know, like, like most other kids, I was building things constantly and right. my brother was building things since as long as I can remember. My earliest memories are of me basically, uh, ruining my brother's, <laughs> my brother's creations. I was, I wasn't trying to ruin them. I was trying to help. But you know, a three-year-old uh, trying to help an, uh, help create an eleven-year-old, uh, helping to you know aid in a, an eleven-year-old's creation uh, ended about as well as you'd expect it to. Wow! And where where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey, Spring Lake, New Jersey. Oh wow! Okay, okay. And where did where did you go to design school? I went to design school at California College of the Arts, which is where I teach now. And man, what a great okay. school. Um, I, I'm very lucky to have gone there because like I said, you know, I, I really didn't fit in in the more typical environments, but at CCA, they really sort of uh, valued that divergent thinking. They were really, really supportive of various endeavors that the students wanted to engage in and the faculty was just absolutely incredible. So like I... I I'm really, really honored to be uh, teaching there. It's only part time, but still, I, I'm I'm really honored to be teaching there. And um, I like yeah. to I like to only teach part time because it sort of keeps you sharp. But you know, in order to remain relevant to the students and in order to remain relevant in your practice and your craft, I feel like you have to have some design work in a professional capacity. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think it helps it. it it helps you seem legitimate to the, to the students as you're explaining things. Cause you're explaining it from a, from a position of, Hey, I've kind of been through this a few times before, or it could even be something that you're going through at that very moment. Like, Hey, I've got this particular client and, and th these are some of the issues and these are the questions that they ask. This is why I'm asking you these questions. These are, this is why I'm asking you to go do these things when it comes to solving your problem. I think that's really important. I, I kind of, um, well, I've found design just because my family's all been in design. My dad's an architect and that's where I started was in architecture. And, uh, my sister's a, a, um, a UI designer illustrator. Uh, so it's kind of in the family and I never thought of doing anything else. Um, mostly because I didn't 
think I could do anything else. So, um, I, I was pretty lucky to have gotten into design schools and doing, doing things with my hands and sort of in atypical ways, which, um, you know, college for designers, I think is not typical for regular students that are studying some kind of liberal arts degree. Um, and, and we, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, this idea of talking about design and talking about kind of what you're doing with design and designers, I think it's really important, especially for younger designers, just to kind of understand just some of the problems and things that we're going through that, that, you know, every, every industry is a, is a little bit different, but we kind of stumble across the same sort of, you know, there's sort of personalities that you're always kind of coming up against, uh, in, in, um, for lack of a better word in the boardroom, you know, the, you're, you're in these meetings trying to get things developed and, and there's always sort of, you know, antibodies that are kind of not wanting to go along with what it is that you're doing. So it, requ it requires, um, the, 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 I, the, the, this way to tell a story and to be a little bit more, I wouldn't say thematic with your words, but just to be more than just like, Hey, here's what I did. I like it because it's, it looks good, but there's a little bit more to it than that. I'm curious, Tony, how did you, how do you contend with that? Cause you obviously have a lot of in-house design experience. So I'd love to hear how you deal with it. I'm sure that you're an expert. <laughs> I don't know if I'm an expert. I, I, um, you know, early in my career, uh, I was, I wasn't a nice person. Um, and so that doesn't really take you very far. It might work for a couple of years and then people kind of get tired of you and then, um, you know, you kind of lose relevance. And so you might have to move along, uh, in, in to, to a different company. Um, every company has a different culture, every corporate structure has a different culture. I, I, and, and I kind of learned that the hard way, um, on my second or third job. Um, kind of what we do now is, you know, we're, we're really trying to support a, a larger, um, we're really just trying to support larger solutions. Right. And so what, what, what we're doing is, you know, Right. Designers like to solve problems. So we're, we're trying to explain these things from that perspective, from from the customer's perspective. And we're uh, kind of what I do now is uh, instead of being a jerk, uh, I might choose to just ask if I can think about it a little bit longer, um, maybe give 24 hours or 48 hours before I might respond uh, or come back instead of like always having to have an answer. I think sometimes you get pinned into, um, having to give an answer. And, and I think it's okay to just wait and say, Hey, I need to study this for a while. Obviously you don't want to wait and miss deadlines, but no one is going to die if you don't answer the question in that meeting from one to two o'clock right. in the afternoon, you can answer the question by the end of the week. Right. And so I, what I try to do is be a little bit more thoughtful and think about it a little bit longer um, and really try to understand, well, what is it that they're disagreeing to? Like really trying to understand, are they, are they disagreeing because it's too hard? Are they disagreeing because, um, you know, we don't have the infrastructure to, to establish or, you know, make that thing that we're trying to do. Like I'll give you an example that I'm going through right now is, um, we're trying to do something and we don't really have the supply, uh, the supplier base that can help us. And we only have right now, we only have one particular supplier that we're working with that can do this particular thing. And a big company like Dell, we have to have two or three suppliers that can, that can do these particular things that we need to do. Um, and so it can put us in a jam if we're kind of expecting to make a million of these things a year. Um, and we're relying on a small company. And so, you know, when I ask a, a few more questions, it, it, initially it was, well, we need to have, we, we can't do this. We need to do something else. We need to have a backup. I'm like, okay, I understand we have to have a backup. You always have to have a plan B, but why can't we do this? And upon some calm questions, I figured out after them telling me is that, Hey, you know, we're, 
we've only got one supplier and we don't have anyone else that can do this. And it's a problem if, if we, you know, put all of our eggs in this basket because we're, we're leaning on them for something else right now. And they have to, they have to follow through on that before they can do this. You know, do you, do you follow what I'm saying? I don't want to say too much because I can't, I can't give a lot of details as, as to what the solution is that we're doing. But, um, I think just sort of waiting and maybe asking questions and then, um, Going and talking yeah. to a couple of other people, uh, and, and trying to get their opinions on like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this person. I know you've worked with this person before. What do you, what, what would you do? Like, what, what's your answer? And sometimes there's always people that have cert, certain personalities. Um, and sometimes that's just the way they are. That's kind of their style. And so you just kind of like, well, okay, that's just the way that person is. They're not really, they're not being a jerk because, because, you know, they don't like you or, or they hate what you're doing. It's just, this is just the way they behave. And, and it's, you know, generally it's okay because everybody's used to it. It doesn't mean that they're bad. And I'm not saying that they're a bad person or, or behaving badly. It's just, some people just have different personalities. Uh, and mm -hmm. sometimes some people read it the wrong way. Yeah, I think one really interesting th thing that you said, Tony, was around really listening and asking questions. At least in my experience, that was the real turning point for me in terms of the relationships that I had with my clients or employers or colleagues or whatever else. I think that is highly, high. it's a highly underrated skill, the willingness and ability to really listen. And I don't mean just sort of like passively listen. I mean like really try and understand where they're coming from and understand their pain points. And I think it, right. it's, a, it's a mark of a good designer to be able to do that because really what you're trying to do is understand the customer, right? And it's the same thing right. with any sort of internal team. You have to understand what their motivations are. Or, you know, they're not, they're not trying to ruin your, your design necessarily. I mean, almost never. They're almost never trying to just ruin your design. Like you said, they're just right. trying, they just say like, look, I don't know how I'm going to make this supply chain work. And they might not be saying that right away. They might just say, no, we can't do it because who knows, maybe they're under stress or whatever else. They got five other projects going on. So I think that's a really, really good attitude. And it's also yielded very good results for me as well. I'm really glad you brought that up. One other, I never thought to just like take time to really think about it though. That's really interesting. Um, well, I, I learned that one from, um, my very first mentor, uh, when I was at IBM and he would just, he would answer matter of factly, I need to study this for a little while. And I would, you know, I would be sitting there as the junior designer next to him and I'm kind of looking at him and I'm, you know, like, okay, so he's not going to answer. Oh, okay. Uh, he's going to study it. And then, you know, we go back to the studio and sit down and you know, I don't know, a day or two, two days later, he would, he would have some sort of an answer. Um, and, and I always thought that that was, I always thought it was at first, I thought it was really strange. Like, well, why doesn't he just answer the question? Like, of course, you know, we're just going to do X, Y, and Z that that's what we're going to do. Um, so sometimes it's a stalling tactic. Like I know what I want to do and I, and I'm going to do it. But if you, if you push, if you come off as like super, um, aggressive, like you're going to run into the, you know, I'm going to just, you know, storm the machine gun nest straight on, <laughs> you know, you're going to die. So if you just kind of like wait and kind of tiptoe around a little bit, you can come to the same answer. And, and another thing that, that I've, I've noticed a lot was I would, I would push back really hard oh, and, man. and argue. <laughs> that, yeah. And, I already know where this is going. <laughs> And it doesn't go anywhere. It just makes people want to push back against you even harder. And, and so what I started doing was, well, I would say, let me study it for a little while, because that's what John would say. My, my mentor, his name was John also. And, um, and I would wait and I would let the emails circulate and I wouldn't respond. And seven out of 10 times, the conversation would circle back to what, what we wanted to do already. It would, it would circle back to the solution that you wanted to do. 
and and it, that's a little bit easier when I was in IC, just sort of like working as a designer um, on, a, on on you know staff and and just kind of like trying to get things done. As a manager, I, I have to be a little bit more proactive. I can't really wait that long. But as an IC, is you're just kind of working and you're working in the a corporate world or or in a larger group setting. You, you sometimes the conversations just they they get circular very um, often, and you just kind of wait and give it a couple of days. Let people kind of say what they're going to say. And then, you know, at the end you might get, usually you might get what you kind of what you wanted to, to do initially. That's really interesting. How did you, um, how did you figure that out? Or do you like plant little seeds like that basically maybe suggest that direction or does it just, does it really truly happen just organically? I wish I was that smart that I could plant seeds. I'm, I'm not that smart. Um, <laughs> I, no, the way I figured it out was because I was honestly, I was such a jerk early on in my career. I, I didn't want to be that person anymore. And uh, I'd say um, over the last 10 or 11 years is when I really started thinking like, I, I don't want to be this person I don't want to continually be having to fight over things. Um, I may have swung too far the other way. Maybe, maybe I'm a little bit too passive now, but um, I just, I just felt like just waiting, it, you know, piping up when I need to and, and, and making sure that um, I don't think you always have to be talking. That's, that's the jam um, right there and, that I 100% agree also with. So I think uh, sometimes the reason it happens is because um, you know, they, the, let's say for us, like a client might think, uh, uh, they know, they know what, what the right answer is. So for example, let's say, uh, this past week we showed a few concepts and, and they were really inclined towards, towards a direction. And we were really inclined towards a, a different direction. And so we said, okay, well, well, we listened to what, what they had to say. Uh, we refined the concepts to what they had to say, but at the end of the day, they still came back to the concepts that we actually were, were leaning towards. So it kind of sort of happens organically, or maybe they just have to see what they, th what they thought was it and to realize that it wasn't um, there. I don't know if, I, if that made sense. <laughs> It did make sense. And I've had that experience as well, where, you know, you, you might say to a client, look, we can do this, but I don't know if it's going to work exactly how you're expecting because of X, Y, Z. And then when you actually show them, they finally realize and understand. And once again, that just comes down to really listening. I think that's, that's, I've said it again, but I think it bears mentioning again. I think it's a highly underrated skill to really try and understand who you're working with. One other thing that's important to mention, Tony, is that uh, do you think it's possible that you sort of got that attitude from your design teachers? Because a lot of the old school teachers I had were very, very harsh, very sort of domineering. Um, and there was like a definite personality that's basically like what you're describing. They were like maybe a little bit like prima donnas, um, not all of them, but certainly some of them, the, the super, super old school ones. Do you think that had anything to do with it? That's a great question. Uh, I think, so when I was studying industrial design in graduate school, none of the professors were like that. When I was in architecture school, we had a couple of them that were sort of like that. Um, maybe a little bit. I, I think it was just more of me not under, me not being emotionally competent to actually do what I needed to do and, and thinking like, uh, that we're, we're, um, able to do what we want to do without any pushback. And I think that, you know, what I've kind of figured out is that the, the designers aren't the only creative people in the room. And you'd be surprised at how creative 
various engineers. I'm sure you've worked with really creative engineers that, are, that, that could be a designer just, just as easily as any, any of us being designers, but they just happen to have chosen engineering or marketing. Um, and so I, I, I just started understanding that the, the design process is better from a larger group of people, not just other designers, but getting inputs. And you have to understand like, well, what inputs are you really going to get and take with you from those other people and really trying to make it you, you want to make it as something that's just not yours, right? Like, cause we don't make art. We do, we do designs for, you know, big companies that want to make, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions a year. And so it's really kind of a group project. And so uh, I, I kind of embraced the idea of there's however many people on the core team and then some to make, you know, one notebook um, or one family of notebooks. So really just sort of embracing that, like, you know, somebody may give me an idea that may help me make the design better. And so just really trying to, to your point, you know, just really trying to listen a little bit more. I don't always take all of their inputs, but I want to at least, I, I don't want to come off as just some sort of like, um, I don't know, like a, I, I just imagine this picture that I have this picture a black and white of Corbusier, like yeah, sitting. I know in, exactly um, what you mean. You know, a chair, kind of nonchalant, with the cigar in his hand. Like, I don't want to come <laughs> off as that guy. You know, I don't want to throw my pencil at them and you know flip my cape around and then walk out of the room. So, and I and I'll even make kind of jokes about you know, well, the temperamental the temperamental designer doesn't you know doesn't like that or or whatever, and, and kind of make fun of myself. I think an, another thing, just to kind of get back to you on, you know, what, you know, why listening or why asking more questions is because I, knowing our executives here, uh, at, at Dell, um, it, we can't go back and say, well, we can't do it because, you know, so-and-so said it can't be done. We actually have to go back and say why it can't be done. Like we have to have uh, like a real reason why it can't be done. And so we constantly will be asked questions like, well, what's the stack up? What's the Z stack up? What, where's the cross section? Can we see a cross section of why this won't work? And so I, I have to ask the questions because I know I have to go, I have to be able to go back and explain if it can't be done, why? And if I continue to ask questions, I'm going to get more information on, well, maybe I can design around this problem, like what they're telling me, maybe there's some way around it. And so you can find solutions just with them kind of giving you a little bit more details. And so it really, it really helps to have a great relationship with those engineers and, and marketing and, and, and various other folks that are on these teams, just so that you can really do a better job than, than just kind of like throwing a design at them and expecting them to go and do it exactly the way you. Yeah, I it. agree a hundred percent. Um, I, I can't, I also can't stress enough the importance of having a good relationship with your engineers because ultimately they're going to be the ones who enable the, the production and creation of your, of your work. And, you know, a lot of times they have the final yeah. say, and I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but that's kind of how it is. So the better relationship you have, especially with the engineers, the better off you'll be. I, I always get along really well with engineers. Um, I'm kind of surprised that a lot of designers uh, say that they don't. I, I guess I can understand why that might be, but you know, ultimately everybody's just trying to make the best product possible. They're not trying to sabotage your design, yeah. even though it might seem like that if you don't ask the right questions. So I think that's a really good insight. I guess one question that I have for you, Tony, is where do you draw the line between uh, allowing input and sort of uh, facing the threat of design by committee, which can really, really screw things up. Like, where do you draw the line? So that's where I'm a little <laughs> bit more sneaky. Um, so, I mean, obviously we have executives that, that we have to go back and, and report to, and the executives will say yes or no. And, and I have a pretty good idea on some of that, uh, at least on my side of the fence. Uh, as far as like a design by committee, 
you know, we, we fortunately have a pretty strong design language. And so we're always trying to keep things within the design language. And so sometimes I, it, it's an easy answer. It's like, well, this doesn't really fit. It's not congruent with our design language. And, and, you know, although it's a good idea and I think that would look really good, um, it's something that we can't do because of, you know, X, Y, and Z, right. It could be like, somebody has a great idea for a foot and it's like, well, you know, we can't do that because it doesn't like, we wouldn't do that foot on this one product it because we have 15 other ones that, that it needs to be, you know, right. it, it's, a, it's a family. So we're, we really, we really work hard on trying to maintain that design continuity. Um, and, and sometimes it's just sort of like, I think yeah, people just want sure. to be heard. Um, I don't know if they're always, they're not always wanting to have that detail on the, on the product, um, but they just want to be heard. And sometimes, um, again, it, it's like asking a few more questions of like, well, what, what, what exactly are you really trying to get at? And then maybe they just don't understand what you're, what you're, what you've done. And so can I explain it a different way? Um, or, um, because maybe what I've done is, is solving the, the need that they think that they're, that they're trying to assist with, um, or it's just something that won't work. And, and we just say, I'm sorry, it just, it just doesn't work. And, um, and I've done that too, where I just say, no, uh, I can't, I can't do that. I can't accept that. And it, in, in, a lot of times with our designs, it really depends on like who, who the target audience is, uh, for that product. And, Obviously, some designs are a little bit more premium than others, uh, given the product lineup that we have. So we're kind of working, you know, up and down based on 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 some of that. You know, you've got some cost issues that that sometimes we can't do because, um, you know, we want to do something that's a little bit nicer, but we can't because of cost reasons. So we have to figure out, well, what's the what's the sort of. uh, less expensive solution that we can do. Um, try not to do the design by committee that, that you're, you're right. That is a tough one to, because everybody's like, Oh, well, I like, you know, I like red and, and green and, and you get all these things. And so, um, it helps to have sometimes like, like when it comes to some things, like sometimes you just have, you know, good cop, bad cop kind of things, you know, and, and I, and I, what I tell at least my staff and and some of the other more senior staff, it's like, look, let me be the bad guy. If I have to be the jerk, let me be the jerk. You can be the nice one. Make sure that you're, you know, I don't want you to have to be the one that they're angry at, but let them be angry at me because it's only going to be for a little while because I'm not around them all the time, you know, in those core teams. So I try to do that as also. So it, it really just depends it's, it's all about context yeah. and who you're dealing with. I think um, this is where consultancy kind of um, is like a struggle for consultancy because in a lot of the cases, we can't really draw the line. Like uh, we can't really push back. Whereas like um, you're pushing back with your, let's say your coworkers, you know, your engineers, your marketing staff, but for us, it's like, that's not our coworker, that's a client. And in a lot of terms, like in a lot of uh, cases when you don't have um, like a strong design director on the other end, then it does become designed by committee. Then it does become where the marketing and the engineer and then this, you know, everyone that's involved starts taking over the design. And um, as a consultant, sometimes we just have, I mean, we can, we can obviously push back or we can, you know, do what we can, but it's, it, it's not the same in a lot of cases, you know, that's, that's our client. Like we can just push to a certain extent. Um, we can try to listen and then try to still kind of nudge what we want in there. Um, but if the, in some cases that there's not a lot of like, um, direction from the design director on the other end so it does become a design by committee unfortunately and so and that's one of the things that as consultants we can't you know we can't do as much as 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 you do tony and the one thing world. that helps me aaron uh in these situations is um 
whenever possible, I like to create a criteria for what a successful design is. Is that something that you guys do? Because if, if there's a criteria and you say like, okay, this thing needs to be, um, it needs to be low profile because, you know, or, or you know what, it needs to be non-threatening because it's a medical device. Let's say you can't have a medical device that's red with a bunch of pointy spikes on it because it's going to terrify the patient. Um, now that's an extreme example, but, uh, have you tried doing something like that where there's sort of like a set criteria that everybody agrees on at the start of the project? Um, yes. And, and we also always obviously design with, with, um, with an intent, <laughs> the design intent. So we do always design with an intent, for example, like if it's, uh, Sometimes we just are part of the project, right? So we we're designing around the project. So this is like this because the shape goes well with this. But um, we do find that some of the companies that we work for um, keep marketing in like very high regards, and it's like it's, it start it goes from marketing down. Mm. Um, so that's where it's sometimes uh, a little bit of a yeah. challenge. Um, whereas you, we can't, you know, we can only push to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, that, that happens with me all the time because I'm basically on the outside looking in as basically, I'm pretty much an independent consultant. So what I'll typically do is I'll just say, look, this goes against the design criteria that we agreed upon. Um, is there something that I'm missing? Like maybe there's another piece of this puzzle that I, I haven't heard about. And usually there is, but sometimes that there isn't, uh, sometimes there isn't. So I'll just say, look, we can do this if you want, as long as you understand that it goes against my best professional opinion and it's going to make the design worse and it goes against the design criteria. <laughs> and sometimes even still they'll say, yes, we want to do it. And at that point, it's kind of like, all right, well, all right, <laughs> suit yourself. You know, <laughs> like, what are you going to say to that? Because at that point, you realize they're not really thinking logically about this decision. Uh, or maybe they don't want to tell you a certain key piece of information for any number of reasons. You know, you're an outside client. Um, I'm sorry, you're an outside vendor. Maybe they don't they don't think that you need to know this key detail that is driving this decision. So that is another thing to think about. And it's really, really hard. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just deal with it by just sort of emotionally letting go of it after a certain point because it's just not worth the aggravation. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that that even happens, you know, in, in corporate, in the corporate world, it, it, you get you get forced to do things that you don't that you don't want to do, and I I, I remember one job that, that I was doing at another large tech company, and um, the product planners that sort of ran each individual line of business they they didn't want to have their products looking like the other one, like a family. They wanted they each wanted to have their own individual design language. It was just so bizarre to me that 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 they wanted everything to be different. No, I don't. I don't want that to look. You know, I don't want my MP3 player to look like my digital camera. And like, well, gosh, you know, we're it's our it's one brand. It's on there. Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want them to look like a family? It should look like it comes from the same hand. Oh no no no! I mean, it was really a big. It was a big struggle. Um, working, working there and doing that because of the, just, just cause of how nutty everything was. Um, but you know, eventually that part of the business got killed. So I had to find another job. Well, that worked out, <laughs> I guess, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a uh, quite an unusual, um, quite an unusual, situation. And plus I wasn't a very, I mean, again, that was really early on in my career and I, I didn't, I mean, I had, I knew how to design things, but I, I didn't know how to like work and maneuver in a big company and work working, uh, with various different dis disciplines. Cause when I was at IBM, we were pretty, um, 
we were kind of siloed off a little bit, uh, at least early on uh, when I was there. And we were just kind of, you know, in our design studio, just kind of working and cranking out designs. And um, there wasn't there wasn't as much input into everything that we were doing like like I do now. Like it's completely different today than, than what I was doing 25 years ago, even though it's still in the same industry. But it's 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 night and day. Just from inputs, it's night and day. Just from process, it's night and day. And the way the suppliers are, they're much better now. Um, everything, everything's completely different. That's a really interesting point that you made regarding uh, how everything is just more. Would you say that it was more clearly defined? Because generally speaking, those kinds of clients um, that Aaron you're referring to, they tend not to have a clear idea of what they want, and as a result they'll start to uh, make requests that don't seem to be the most sensible or, or in the best interest of the company. So I guess, Tony, do you think, do you think that had something to do with it? Just like clearly def uh, poorly defined goals or a poorly defined vision? Am I understanding that right? Uh, it could have been, I think, I think, it, it's really strange. So working at IBM, obviously they've been around a long time and, and they had been in the PC, you know, basically started the PC business. Uh, and it, the, just the way the process was, it was just, it was just, there weren't as many touch points with the, um, the sort of business executives like, like I do now, like we have a lot of touch points. There's a lot of milestones that we go through and, um, these gates that we have to, um, you know, get to in order to go past them uh, in order for more, you know, checks to be written to the suppliers so that we can make these things. And when I was there, it was just sort of like, go make this thing and you're going to be on a plane in two months to get it made uh, so that you can get tooling released. I mean, it was it was like that. It was kind of like a hallway conversation type of a project request. Hey, we got to go do a new bezel on this chassis. Here's the right. chassis. Um, design the bezel for it. You're going to be on a plane in a month to go work with the supplier to to get this made. It was it was like that. It wasn't like now. You know, we're we're looking at everything. We look at the the whole. The, I mean, the whole uh, front end and back end of. Okay, we're you know we're going to make it. We've how many people are going to be required on this team in order to create this thing? Who's going to be a supplier? Are we going to go out for multiple bids? Um, how many units are we going to do? What's the the we kind of estimate what the bill of materials are going to are going to cost? Um, so it, it's completely different. Whereas you know when I was at IBM, it wasn't like nobody was saying um, you've only got five dollars to to work with. Uh, a, a few a few projects I recall working on where there was some numbers thrown around, but I, I don't. It, it was and maybe it's just because I was a junior designer and I was kind of you know I started off as a uh, an intern and then a contractor and so I was just sort of like mm -hmm. the hired help there to kind of just go and fog a mirror and make make things. Um, so that could be a little bit of that as well. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean it could be that. Any time, any time that the company is disorganized, it tends to reflect in the actual output of the products. Like, I think it was actually at the very beginning of of Objectified where Johnny Ive basically says, like, the objects that you see created all around you are a reflection of the people who made them. So if there's like a disjointed design oh, yeah. language and they want that. Usually the company is disjointed and disorganized. <laughs> like it's a direct reflection. In fact, I yeah. would say that most uh, design, like I, I hesitate to use this word because it's hard to define failure in the context of design, but most like failed designs, maybe things that sell very poorly or are really weird looking or who knows. Um, I feel like it tends to do more with a lack of communication and a lack of alignment among the teams than it is a lack of talent or skill among the people on the teams. Because generally speaking, if you're working at a as as an industrial designer, I mean, I'm sure there are some like bad industrial designers who slip through the cracks, but it's such a competitive environment that like it's very, very rare that you will find an industrial designer who works professionally, who isn't 
pretty damn good at their job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, you're you're right about that. I mean, I, I I've always looked at products and and you you I mean, I've seen you do sort of like these design reviews of things and and you look at things and you're like, "Oh man, it's it's so bad or or that's a weird detail." And and then and then as you kind of go through that, you sort of then put yourself in the in the in the seat of well, I don't understand the context of what happened when these people were creating this thing and, and no, no telling what went on while they were making this. And, and to your point, right, it's, it's just an artifact of the process. You know, the people are probably competent. Obviously, something came out. They made it. It shipped. Um, but but it's, it's, the, it's the context of, of those decisions that you're trying to make at that time, you know, when you have to make that decision. Right. And, and that's, that's what you get at the end of the, at, at the, end of the game, you know, when, when it's finally coming off the factory line. And that's why I try and make my reviews generally pretty positive because I just don't know what the designers were facing because there are some designs that I've produced. Maybe they didn't end up exactly the way I wanted. And, uh, you know, usually it was because of something that was completely outside of my control, like something changed last minute and uh, the supplier uh, wasn't able or the manufacturer wasn't able to do it the way that they said. So we had to find a new manufacturer last second and, you know, we didn't really vet them and there are all these weird defects or, you know, they hired a, a new mechanical engineer last second and, you know, he wasn't as knowledgeable in this particular area. So... I try not to negatively judge products. I mean, there might be a couple in there, like the Cybertruck, which I passionately dislike. But besides that, <laughs> I'm, I'm generally pretty lenient and I tend to only review products that I like because I, you know, who knows what the designers went through. Like, I would hate to be judged for yeah. my, my uh, less successful designs because a lot of the time it was totally outside of my control. Right. Right. No, and I, I, I appreciate that. I watch your reviews and I do, I do appreciate that, that, that you, you tend, I know I at least wrote this on one of your LinkedIn posts that you tend to be, um, you know, very clear how you do it. And you're very, um, you're not snarky about it. Whereas I think sometimes, you know, designers, they, they tend to be sometimes maybe the snarkiest ones in the oh, rooms, yeah. <laughs> uh, with, uh, with other people. And so I, I, I have always sort of disliked that kind of like snarky approach of reviewing things and just kind of tearing it down for the sake of tearing things down. I, I think, you know, we're, and I, I like that you review things that you like. I mean, I, why would you review something that's, that's bad? Maybe because it's so bad that you have to sort of illustrate why it's bad, but but again, is it bad because of the designer or is it bad because of all the other things that you mentioned, you know, the, the, the process of what's going on and maybe the company's kind of crazy or, you know, maybe it's just sort of like some nefarious people that are just trying to make things for the sake of whatever. Um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a, I, I have to tell you, I do like the cyber truck. I'm oh, sorry. Man. Uh, I think it's, I, what do you like about it? I'm actually really <laughs> curious. Tell me what you like about it. I, I, the reason why I like it is because it's so completely different than everything else. That's, that's the that's, reason why I like it. That's a good reason. I think that's fair. I mean, there's no arguing that it's so completely different than everything else. And that's actually one thing that I like about it because finally some car company is actually willing to take a risk. You know, that's one thing that I really right. respect and appreciate, but man, is it ugly. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. Like, I, I understand that it's a result of the manufacturing process. And, and maybe, I, I don't know, man. Like, to me, like I said, I, I don't like to pass judgment on products. But that one is just so egregious in its execution that it's really hard for me to ignore. <laughs> it's like the one product that I just, like, can't get past. I think um, I like I like it. Because of you know what Tony said, it's it's different. They're out there. They're pushing it. Um, but to me, it's a, just a concept. Like it's not it's not a real thing yet for for many reasons. Like it, I and I'm sure when it comes out, it's going to look hopefully better. Because a lot of the things that 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 they did just are are not going to work, in my opinion, at least. And some of the proportions as well are somewhat um, 
dubious. dubious. That's a good word for it. <laughs> That's very kind, Aaron. It's a very kind way to, to put it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just because I think I like it because it's so... Um, it, yes, it's different, but it, it, it creates like these raw emotions to, towards it. And, and there's something interesting about a product that that's doing that and that can really make people either love it or hate it. Um, and, and so I don't mind that. I, I doubt like if I was in the, yeah, I don't know how much they cost, but if I was in the, you know, in the market to buy an electric vehicle. I don't think that would be the Tesla model that I would buy. Um, and if it was a truck, I that definitely wouldn't be the one I would get. I would, I would get something different. Yeah. Maybe the Rivian or the Ford 150, um, you know, just as like pretty utilitarian kind of easy to get around in and, um, not so, um, you know, it's one thing, I don't know, I mean, if I'm driving, I'd, I'd rather not have something that's just going to make people stare at me all the time. So I don't think that would be the one I would want to drive, you know, the, the, the Tesla truck. But as far as like looking at it and sort of admiring it as a piece of artwork, then that's, right. that's a little bit different. I, and I don't want to be mean about it. Like like I've been saying, I I know that, you know, the designers were probably under some pretty tight constraints or, or timelines or who knows, maybe Elon just said, I want it this way and this is how we're doing it. Like who knows what happened behind the scenes. Um, right. But I, I agree with you. I do have a lot of respect for them taking such a huge risk because, man, that does not look anything like anything I've seen before uh, in terms of trucks. The problem is, at least from my perspective, is that it looks like something that like <laughs> one of my students would make. And I think I would probably have to fail them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if, <laughs> if a sophomore in design school uh, presented that as their final project in transportation design, like I don't think that they would get a passing grade. And, and maybe that maybe that's actually highlighting an issue that we have in education. Um, but I don't know. It's just like. It, it really flies in the face of every single principle of transportation design. I was talking to one of my friends about it and he was just like appalled by it. He's, a, he's in transportation design and he just was like, I don't know what the heck happened here. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, it, it you know, I'm coming at it from the context of knowing nothing about transportation design. I just buy cars, you know, every now and again. And that, that's about as much as I know. So not not having any sort of background or knowledge uh, or any sort of intimacy in that in that world, um, maybe maybe if I knew more, I'd probably dislike it uh, from for the same reasons. Yeah, I mean, I've never I've never designed any uh, transportation design projects that were not highly conceptual. So maybe I, I shouldn't be speaking. I'm not speaking as an authority on this. These are just my opinions on on the truck. Um, I, I want to approach it from a place of humility, but, uh, yeah, well, you're a design, you're a design authority. I mean, you have, you, I mean, you, you, you're, I mean, we're all professional designers and we, we, we are entitled and have, have sort of given ourselves the opportunity to have an opinion that's somewhat, um, more, more knowledgeable than just sort of the random, a random person walking yeah, down the street. I mean, I guess that's fair. Um, I mean, there is value in basically understanding why you don't like something as well. And I've really taken the time to understand why I don't like uh, certain designs. I tend to keep that to myself, though. I tend to focus more on the positives with the channel just because it's it's yeah. nicer. Yeah, no, I think it's great. I, I love it. I think it's a, a um Love your channel. Love what you're doing. Um, I think it's a good help for any designer that that wants to learn more, or people who want to learn about design. And and um, it would be a channel that I think would be um, useful to someone who's thinking about going into design, or someone who's. I, I've had other professionals in my company come and ask me about, "Hey, I'd like to go back to school and study design." And it's a great. I think it's a great avenue to kind of learn a little bit more. And it's nice seeing people putting things up now. There's more things happening with a little bit more information about industrial design. It was just so, um, 
it, I mean, it really just in the last couple of years, I think more folks have been kind of talking about it more openly and, and, and social media, like, like what you're doing. And, uh, Michael DiTullo is doing some interesting videos as well. And I love it all. I think it's really cool. And, um, it's inspiring for me, I think just as being a professional and, and kind of watching what people are doing and talking about it, it, it's, uh, it's helpful. I think it's educational and, and just, I, I love it. I, I hope you keep going and, and keep, Keep yeah, I things appreciate up there. that very much. It's been a lot of fun. I would probably make the videos even if nobody watched them because I learn more than than anyone. I mean, if you want to get really good at something, you teach it. I'm curious, Tony, what um, what was your motivation for starting this podcast? Um, so I have a a 20 year old daughter who's a, just finished her sophomore year in design school at the University of Houston, and um, I kind of felt like this would be a way for me to give her advice on design without having to like tell her and speak to her face to face. So, um, I don't know if she listens or not. Um, (laughs) she may not because it's me. Um, but I kind of, that, that was kind of one thing, one, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this. And another reason was just because I felt like, um, you know, Dan and I, we've been, we've been, friends for a while and, and, uh, you know, Aaron works for Dan and I just thought it would be kind of interesting just to talk to other designers about like, what are you doing? Like what, why are you doing it? And, and, um, what, what insights do you have that, that, that you can at least share with us and, and, um, you know, can I, can I, can I learn something from it? And, um, so far I have, it's, it's interesting talking to other designers. We've spoken to some, uh, UI designers and, and, um, you know, other industrial designers and, and, uh, people in product development. And, um, and it's just been something we've been doing, uh, it's been a couple of years and we get them out like once or twice a month, um, cause we're all sort of super busy and, um, but that's, that's kind of why, um, that's just to talk to people. That's really cool that uh, you're basically doing it in hopes that your daughter listens to it. <laughs> I really like that. I hope so. I hope she listens to it too. I, I'm going to definitely send her your way and um, have her have have I, at some point in the future she will be sending you her portfolio for a um, a dissection and some assistance. Okay. Um, yeah, I'd be happy to check it out, and be, it can be it can be, awesome. be privately or in public, whichever one she prefers. Because the va- I review probably ten or fifteen portfolios a week privately. Um, Do you really easily? Wow. That's really great. Yeah, I I don't know if I'll be able to review every single one forever because it's a little bit more every single month. But for as long right. as I can, I'm going to try and review every single one. Yeah, that that's really good. I I've I've made a point to um, when when I have. Uh, like junior design interviews and uh, interns, I try to always give some input onto their portfolio and give them feedback on, you know, what they're showing and, and what they're doing to just try to make sure that they're, because I, what I see, I've seen a lot in some, some students is that they're really, really good, but their portfolio isn't showing, it's not highlighting what their skills are and what they can do. And, and um, like they, they put things that are, they highlight things that they shouldn't highlight and that, and they don't have hero shots that are like really beautiful of, of the things that they've designed. And it might be a thumbnail with the, with the title as big as the thumbnail is the picture. It's like, no man, just put, fill the whole page up. It's digital. Just, just, just do it. And, um, and I, I find, I just, you know, nobody ever helped me. And so I, at least when I do have these younger designers, uh, at least try to give them a little bit of feedback and hopefully that they get some, something out of it. Yeah, that's a great thing. Well, yeah, uh, send your daughter my way. I'll tell her to listen to her father. I don't know if she'll take that advice, <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I, I, I really appreciate the time, John. It's been it's been great. Um, I'm sure we'll talk again. I hope one day we can meet face to face when we get to move around a little bit yeah. more. Um, and uh would love to spend some more time with you is talking to you. I think this has been great. And, and again, I, I love all your stuff that you're putting up. I think it's thank fantastic. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you so much for your time, Aaron. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to me just knowing how busy both of you are.
So once again, thank you for that. And uh, yeah, keep in touch. If you're ever in San Francisco, let me know. And if I'm ever, where are you guys in, in Texas specifically? Austin. In Austin. If I'm ever in the Austin, Austin area, I'll let you know. So thank you. Thanks again. Please. I really, really appreciate it. I learned a lot from, from both of you. So thanks. Well, thank you, John.